Blog Talk Radio. I'm going to a city that's set on a hill. Its ruler and maker is the Lord God above. Oh, I'm going to a city and it's set on a hill. And someday I'll be in heaven and there'll be no sorrow there. Oh, I'm going to a city it lies for Hallelujah. Thank God we're going to a city because... It means we're going to be leaving this place, this old world behind. Hallelujah. Hello, everybody. God bless you today. And I want to welcome you to the prophetic news. And we're in our 12th year, hard to believe. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe it myself. But I wouldn't you love to hear this radio broadcast on like an FM station or an AM station somewhere, it would be so wonderful. I don't know if anybody would ever pick us up because most of these station managers, they don't like you to name names and they have some of these big shots on there, the big shot scammers, so they wouldn't want you to uh, come on their network. Is there a brave station manager out there? I think we have we have a pretty good audience on the internet, but it would be great if people were riding in their car and they, I don't know how many people listen to the radios in their car that much anymore, but, and they could tune across and hear some good gospel, which would be wonderful because we need more people out there preaching the truth. Of course, God's got his faithful remnant and we're grateful for that. So I wanted to give a big hello today to my listeners around the world. And we do have many listeners in different countries, but our main listenership is in America, of course. And then we have the United Kingdom, and we have South Africa, and we have Australia, and we have Canada. Those are our biggest numbers as far as listeners, international listeners, but we have many other countries that tune in on smaller numbers. But I wanted to, I was thinking this week when we were looking at the images of the Haitian aliens, of course, I don't know, they have all these buzzwords. Like first it was illegal aliens, which they are, they're aliens and they're illegal. But then they changed the buzzwords, and you couldn't say that anymore. So you had to say, not, uh, then they would say aliens, and they would drop illegal. And uh, now the big buzzword is migrants. I'm like, what's a migrant? <laughs> Can you just call it like it is? But you, you see how the news media tries to change your perception of things. And... and uh, You notice that they're not saying man and wife, husband and wife so much anymore. They're saying partner. So you can't really. And they did that in England. I remember when I was there in the 1990s, I used to go a lot. And I went over 30 times to England. So when I would watch the tube there, 
the boob tube TV. And I noticed on some of these chat shows they had there that people would say, my partner, and I couldn't, I was like, well, do you have a husband? Do you have a wife? What's your partner? And they're doing that here now. They're saying my partner. No, if you're married, that's your husband and that's your wife. But they try to change your perception of things. And so when I was there in uh, South Africa in the 1990s, and my friends took me, and I I went from Cape Town all the way to the end of South Africa while I was there. But I was staying in Cape Town, and my hosts, they took me to Squatter's Village, which reminded me of exactly what was happening there in Del Rio, Texas. You see this Squatter's Village. You see lean-tos, and that's what I saw in South Africa. People would just, they'd find an empty lot, and they would just squat there. And there was like hundreds of squatters there, and they would grab pieces of metal, and they would grab tree branches, whatever, and they'd just squat there. And if you had vacant property, you you might get a squatter. And that's basically what's going to happen here eventually is that if there's an empty lot somewhere, somebody's going to put up a tent or something and start squatting. And they they also did this in California. And we have a sister here, Shannon, from California, where they're going to take away the zoning for single-family houses so that if you have a, a single-family home, somebody might come a developer or whatever and buy your house and tear it down and put a fourplex on it or an apartment building. Now, could you imagine that? You're living in a residential neighborhood. And so I think you should be able to pick the neighborhood you want to live in. And most people do that. They look when they go to buy a house if they want to live in that neighborhood. Now they're not, they don't want to give you a choice of what neighborhood you want to live in because they're going to force you to live next to an apartment building <laughs> but they were saying that the I think it was Tucker Carlson he was saying that when Newsom was running for re-election which I don't know how he ever got re-elected there in California something fishy going on over there who would want him crazy people that Governor Newsom didn't like what I was saying anyway hopefully we're going to be able to get through this broadcast we've already once been disconnected so let me know there in the chat room if you hear me, and uh, we'll continue. So anyway, <laughs> we're back. Anyway, it's like they say, we're back. But so then uh, I'm thinking when I'm looking at this thing there in Del Rio, now do you, do you think that this is kind is this the kind thing to do to people if to have people traveling thousands of miles with their babies pregnant women and they're going and they're camping out in the heat of texas now how are they getting food i guess people were coming with food eventually but what did they do to for sanitation and these people were washing their children in the river there. Oh, please. Do you think that that's the kind thing to do to people? It's like, if you want to help people, let them stay in their own country and help them develop their own country. We've managed in this country to develop 
the country where most people have running water. I guess there's still people that don't have running water in, in some places, but most people have running water. They have toilets that flush. They have electricity. They have refrigeration and, the, and things that they need for basic living. So why can't other countries have the same thing? It's like, why does everybody have to come here? And then you think that's the kind thing to do is to leave these children, babies, and some of these children are coming, making this trip on their own. You think that's a kind thing when you see what's happening and they're making every, these poor people travel to come here. And it's very difficult to relocate your whole life and to start all over again. To me, the kindest thing to do is let them stay where they are, help them develop their country so that they can have a good lifestyle. And, uh, but it looks to me like they're just trying to destroy this country. That's what it looks like to me. And they're doing a pretty good job of it. And they're doing it rapidly. But of course, Jesus said that we're going to see things happen in these end times and we just have to be ready. And I I just read this morning and much to my dismay, of course, they, these people, the Democrats that are in the majority in the uh, house and the Senate. And of course they have the presidency that this headline says Pelosi cheers as Dems passed radical abortion without limits bill legalizes partial birth abortion, dismembering babies, and lifts all restrictions. Yeah, so. Expect God to judge us. And unfortunately for this time, the church has to be here for these judgments. And uh, it's not any fun. It's not any fun to live through these pandemics, this plague that has been plaguing us now for almost two years. And and uh, who knows what else is to come. But, of course, we know that God is faithful and he's going to take care of us. We need him now more than ever. And, of course, then we have all these false prophets that have gone on into the world and the false teachers. And we have to be so aware of what's happening when I see people defending some of these preachers that what they're saying and what they're doing, there's no defense. You can't defend them. When you see some of these so-called teachers, Bible teachers, and they're abusers, they abuse people. And then when you try to bring it out and you try to bring some correction, they abuse you even more. And I'm thinking, I don't know why people follow these people. I wouldn't, I wouldn't follow that kind of a person now where I'm at with the Lord. And hopefully we have to start recognizing these things, that when you see these Bible teachers, these evangelists and these TV preachers, and they're abusing people and they're taking advantage of people and they're lying to people just to get money and whatever else, Usually it's about the money, though, because most people, they won't leave a ministry. If they're on the board of a ministry, 
and they're getting some kind of compensation for being on the board or for doing any kind of services, they won't, usually they won't leave because they don't want to give up the money. Even though, even if the person is a creep totally and a, and a total abuser of the sheep, they're still going to have a following because they're not willing to give up their money. Well, if you're not willing to give up everything for the cause of Christ, then you're not worth much, really. You might as well hang it up. Because you have to be willing to say, well, if if my ministry doesn't support me, then I'll get some kind of other work to do until the ministry can support me. But I'm not going to compromise what I believe. And that's what we need. I, I see these people. There's this one uh, pastor and they just bought like a $36 million building and he's giving away houses and cars and all kinds of things. Well, yeah, that's great. But why does the philanthropy have to go through him? Why does he have to get all the credit for giving people, for being good to people when it's the people in the congregation the pastors need to teach the people in the congregation to take their money and to be good to somebody and not give it to the pastor so the pastor could be good to somebody so he gets more money and he looks like the great person when it's the people in the congregation that are giving the money. And how are they getting it? For the most part, they're getting it through tithes and uh, through seed faith gifts and whatever. But no, a pastor has to teach people in their congregation, look, you need to think for yourself where you're going to give your money. You want, to, you want to donate to the church? That's fine. You want to donate to somebody else? That's fine, too. Hear from God. That's the most important thing is hear from God. So I'm not impressed by these ministries that most of the time it's for show. And look at all the great things we're doing. Like, why do you have to buy a $36 million building? I don't know if they're going to use it for housing or what. It's a big office complex. And supposedly they take in $100 million or $200 million a year. But I'm all for Christians thinking for themselves and getting the good feeling for themselves of helping somebody maybe buy a house or buy a car or buy them some groceries without giving it to the pastor. So then the pastor can do all your charity work for you. <laughs> and you can fulfill his vision on the earth. <laughs> no, we have to think for ourselves. We have to think for ourselves and obey God. As we, anybody, can, anybody that's born again and saved has the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. And we can hear God for ourselves. Thank you very much about who to be generous to. But Let's listen to Mark 13 here first, and then we'll get into our... And as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples saith unto him, Master, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And Jesus answering said unto him, Seest thou these great buildings? There shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives over against the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us... When shall these things be? And what shall be the sign when all these things shall be fulfilled? And Jesus answering them began to say, Take heed lest any man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And when ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, be ye not troubled. 
for such things must needs be, but the end shall not be yet. For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be earthquakes in diverse places, and there shall be famines and troubles. These are the beginnings of sorrows. But take heed to yourselves, for they shall deliver you up to councils, and in the synagogues ye shall be beaten, and ye shall be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them. And the gospel must first be published among all nations. But when they shall lead you and deliver you up, take no thought beforehand what ye shall speak, neither do ye premeditate. But whatsoever shall be given you in that hour, that speak ye. For it is not ye that speak, but the Holy Ghost. Now the brother shall betray the brother to death, and the father the son. And children shall rise up against their parents, and shall cause them to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. But when ye shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not, let him that readeth understand. Then let them that be in Judea flee to the mountains. And let him that is on the housetop not go down into the house, neither enter therein to take anything out of his house. And let him that is in the field not turn back again for to take up his garment. But woe to them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. And pray ye that your flight be not in the winter. For in those days shall be affliction such as was not from the beginning of the creation which God created unto this time, neither shall be. And except that the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh should be saved. But for the elect's sake, whom he hath chosen, he hath shortened the days. And then if any man shall say to you, Lo, here is Christ, or Lo, he is there, believe him not. For false Christs and false prophets shall rise and shall show signs and wonders to seduce, if it were possible, even the elect. But take ye heed. Behold, I have foretold you all things. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun shall be darkened and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars of heaven shall fall, and the powers that are in heaven shall be shaken. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then shall he send his angels, and shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from the uttermost part of the earth to the uttermost part of heaven. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When her branch is yet tender, and putteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is near. So ye in like manner, when ye shall see these things come to pass, know that it is nigh, even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, that this generation shall not pass till all these things be done. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. But of that day and that hour knoweth no man. No, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. Take ye heed, watch and pray, for ye know not when the time is. For the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey, who left his house, and gave authority to his servants and to every man his work, and commanded the porter to watch. Watch ye, therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh, at even or at midnight, 
or at the cock crowing or in the morning, lest, coming suddenly, he find you sleeping. And what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. Amen. Amen. We're watching. We're watching. <laughs> oh. And we better watch because you see, you see what's happening in these uh, churches or so-called churches where they're chasing after signs and wonders and they're chasing after gold dust and feathers falling from the ceiling and, and chasing after miracles. You can get a miracle right in your own house. I mean, that's the best place to learn how to get a miracle is right in your own house. You and Jesus. And you don't have to go run into Benny Hinn or Kenneth Copeland. And uh, you can get sick going to a Kenneth Copeland convention where some people came down with coronavirus that went to his convention. Now, I don't know if they got it there or where they got it, but they were there when they got sick. So you can't put your faith and trust in any human being. Of course, Jesus said to lay hands on the sick and they shall recover, but you can lay hands on yourself. And that's the best way to get a miracle is between you and God and learning how to trust God. We have to learn how to trust God because truly the days are evil. I mean, evil, evil. Like we've never seen in our lifetime anyway. So when you look at these cults and you're amazed at the things that they believe and at the things that they can get people to believe when you think that everybody's got a Bible, but they can take the Bible and they can twist the scriptures to make you believe that the Jehovah Witnesses have the truth and the Mormons have the truth and the Moonies have the truth and all the other cults that are out there. We have the truth and uh, we use the Bible. They use the Bible. Yeah, they can quote scripture. I, I remember when I was out in my yard one day in the front, and you know they're coming, the Jehovah Witnesses. This was before coronavirus, so I I don't think they were going door to door during this pandemic. It it put a a big squeeze there on their salvation because they couldn't go door to door and uh, get people saved passing out their watchtower. But I'm there in the yard, and I see them walking up my driveway, and so... They want to give me their literature, and I tell them, "Look, I don't, I don't want your literature. Thank you very much. I'm a Christian. I'm born again Christian, and I don't need your literature." And and this lady, you know, and they have this glassy look in their eye, and she's got this glassy look and this kooky smile that they have, and she says, "I'm oh well, we're Christians too, and we're born again too." (laughs) So they have the lingo. They have the lingo, so you have to know how to combat it if you're going to engage in a conversation. I didn't really want to engage in a conversation at that point because I I was like, uh, I said, God bless you, or Jesus is Lord, and no, you're not born again, and some other things that I said, and then uh, they walked away when they realized that they weren't. I said to them too, I said, please don't come to my house anymore. I'm not interested. Well, do you think that that stopped them? No, they they continue to come to my house and annoy me 
for the most part. But you have to know how to witness to these people. You have to know how to come back at them when they say, oh, yes, we're born again, too. But no, that's their born again is a different born again than our, than our born again. But anyway, let's listen to this about Jehovah Witnesses. It is that Jesus is the Son of God. He was the first thing that Jehovah created, and uh, through him, other creative works were done. Now, some religions teach that God and Jesus are one and the same, but the Bible does not teach that, and therefore neither do Jehovah's Witnesses. We believe that the Bible teaches that Jesus carries out a number of functions for Jehovah God, the Most High. For example, in the Hebrew Scriptures, he is referred to as Michael. Michael, literally translated into English, means, who is like God. Witnesses believe that Jesus Christ is a spirit creature, a super angel, the first creation of Jehovah God, who prior to coming to earth as a man, existed in heaven as Michael the archangel. Jesus started out originally as the Logos. Or Michael the archangel. then came to earth as the virgin-born son of Mary. He was a perfect, sinless man. But he was only a man, devoid of all divinity. Jesus walked the earth as a man, becoming the Christ only when he was baptized. Jehovah's Witnesses hold the cross in contempt feeling that it is nothing more than a pagan symbol used by apostate Christendom. Instead, they teach that at the completion of his ministry, Jesus died, not on the cross, but on an upright stake. Christ's body was then laid in a tomb, where it was disintegrated by God, totally destroyed forever. Jesus was then recreated by the Father, before going to heaven, he materialized in different bodies on different occasions to convince his disciples and others that he had really been resurrected. Jesus returned to his Father in heaven, where once again, he became Michael the Archangel. He will never again be seen on the earth in visible form, but instead rules invisibly from the heavens. When he executes judgment over the world at Armageddon, he will destroy all but the faithful Jehovah's Witnesses. Jesus, alias Michael, will always remain invisible to those on earth and can be seen only by the 144,000 select Jehovah's Witnesses who rule with him from heaven. Oh dear. Now, could you imagine what kind of stress that is? That you 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 uh, belong to this cult, which it is a cult, and there's only going to be 144,000 people saved in the end. Could you imagine how stressful that is? If you have to keep working for your salvation, now, they are totally lost. Jesus was Michael the archangel, and then when he, when he died, he his body disintegrated, and he went back to being Michael the archangel. Now, most people don't know they believe that, but that's what they believe. So 
if you're talking to a Jehovah Witness, you could ask them that question, who is Jesus? Because they'll tell you, Jesus is my Lord. <laughs> they have a different conception of what Jesus is my Lord is. Well, you could ask him, well, was Jesus Michael the Archangel before he came to, uh, to earth? To see what they tell you. Because you have the answer now. That's what they believe, that he was Michael the Archangel, and then after he died, he went back to being Michael the Archangel, and he appeared in many different forms, they said. And they said when he was on the earth, he was just a man. So you could ask them that. Was Jesus divine when he walked the earth? And if they were, if they tell you the truth, because some of them don't tell you the truth, they'll lie. And ask them. Was Jesus divine when he walked the earth? And the real answer is no, he wasn't. So see if they'll tell you. See if they'll tell you. Anyway, here's another clip about that. In the verses. Well, we have here is the April 1st Watchtower of 2010. And in, in here, there's a question from the reader. Is Jesus the Archangel Michael? It says in the last paragraph, so Michael the Archangel is Jesus in his pre-human existence. After his resurrection returned to heaven, Jesus resumed his service as Michael, the chief angel, to the glory of God the Father. Hmm. So we're quoting Philippians 2.11 and saying that Jesus Christ is indeed Michael to the glory of God the Father. Yeah, so here you have, first of all, you don't have eternal God, the Son, okay, coming in the incarnation and joining himself to a man. So you have both man and God fully in one person, hmm. okay? What you have in the Jehovah's Witnesses, you start out with a created being, namely an angel, Michael the archangel. Somewhere along the line, God says, time's up, snuffs him out, and then makes Jesus just the man, not even angel. He's just a man, all right? Certainly not God in the Jehovah's Witnesses teaching. Then at the end of Jesus' life, what happens? Well, he stops existing there, and God recreates a spirit being, Michael again, at the end. And again, you have a created being all along the line, Jesus never was taught to you as being God the Son at all. Now, what bothered you about that? We need to go back to the authority. And the authority here is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He says, whom do you say that I am? This is the most important question we can possibly ask. Whom do you say that I am? Now, the Jehovah Witness and the Christian will say the same thing. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. But that means two entirely different things to us. Because when they say it, they mean that he is a created angel. And when we say it, we say that he shares in the very nature of God. Yeah, so you're redefining terms. They'll use... Jesus is a savior, you'll use born again, they'll use all of our words, mm -hmm. the Christian words, and they'll give a completely new definition. Yeah. Joni, you had that too when you were growing up. That's right. They didn't stress Michael as much as they stressed the fact that he was the first and only direct creation of the Father Jehovah. And so he was second, like Bill used to say, he rode shotgun. Mm -hmm. uh, so we never were allowed to worship Jesus, we were not allowed to pray to Jesus. And when you start reading the Bible, after you're, the, the shackles are off and you realize this is not God's organization, and that's what we did then is start reading our Bibles without the Watchtower interpretation. And you have to see Jesus. I remember reading John 14, and, it's, and, and uh, I believe it was Philip said, well, 
what is the way? We don't know the way. He says, Jesus says, I am the way. Mm-hmm. I am the truth. I am the life. That's what I thought the watchtower was. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just Jesus jumps right out of the Bible at you. How did you think about this when you, when you realized it was the gift of God coming through Jesus Christ? I was only 16 years old, and I already knew that I was tired. I was tired because I could not work enough to please Jehovah God. And I loved Jehovah God. I didn't want to disappoint Jehovah God. Uh, But it says that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet helpless, Christ Jesus died for us. I didn't have to do a thing. I didn't have to lift a finger. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. I didn't have to do anything. He did all the work. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He did. He did, too. He did. Thank you, Jesus. He did all the work, didn't he? And we remember that the day that we were born again. We remember when we asked Jesus to be our Lord and we repented of our sins and we were born again. We became new creations in Christ Jesus. Old things passed away and behold, all things become new. And it was wonderful. I had somebody say to me one time, well, what do you have? How do you know God's real? I said, well, I I know he's real because he changed me. Nothing else could change me. Nothing. Nothing. But when I was born again, I was born again, a new creature in Christ Jesus. And those scales fell off my eyes and my search was over. I didn't have to go searching anymore for uh, this religion and that religion. And Jesus said, I am the way, and I knew he was the way. And that's how you can know. You don't have to go searching anymore. You don't have to work to try to get your salvation. Your salvation's already been bought and paid for through Jesus Christ's birth, death, and resurrection and ascension. And he's sitting at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you. So you don't have to be in bondage anymore. We're free, and we know we're free. Hallelujah. And you can't get this read them any other way. Let's hear here with how the Mormons view Jesus. First, Sandra Tanner, the great-great-granddaughter of Brigham Young, the second prophet of the Mormon church. In um, June of 1998, Gordon B. Hinckley, who was the president of the church at that time, uh, he said the traditional Christ of whom they, meaning the Christians, speak, is not the Christ of whom I speak. Now, why isn't it the same Christ? Because the Christ of the Bible has eternally been God. He's never been less than he is today. And yet Jesus of Mormonism uh, is one of a whole string of gods. His Father, Heavenly Father, had to earn the right to become a god. Jesus had to earn the right to become a god. Jesus in Mormonism has not always been God. This is something he achieves. It is the goal of every Mormon man to someday achieve godhood the same as Jesus did, the same as Jesus' father did. Second, Dr. Lynn Wilder, a tenured professor at Brigham Young University who authored more than 50 scholarly publications. She left her teaching position in 2008 after becoming a Christian. As a tenured professor at Brigham Young, okay, and and being a Mormon for 30 years, Do you still believe that the Book of Mormon is the true Word of God? I do not. There are contradictions all over their own scriptures. There are blatant contradictions between the Book of Mormon 
and the doctrine and covenants even. One says God is spirit and one says God has a body of flesh and bones. You can't have it both ways. And third, Michael Wilder, Lynn's husband, who worked in the temple, was a member of the high council and served in two bishoprics. Glenn Beck, Harry Reid, Steve Young, Mick Romney, Stephen Covey, and Orrin Hatch, they're all Mormons. Okay? So if I ask them the question, can you be a biblical Christian at the same time that you are a temple-attending Mormon, as one of those that gave the temple recommend, what would you answer? I would say what's my understanding of Christianity now is that, no, there's a huge conflict between being a biblical Christian and being a Mormon. It's a totally different concept of who Jesus is, who man is, who God is, how we fit in the universe, how we get right with God. In Mormonism, it all hinges on participation in the Mormon temple rituals. In Christianity, it all hinges on throwing ourselves on the mercy of God. Amen to that. I'd rather throw myself on the mercy of God because he he gives us mercy and we don't deserve it. He gives us grace and we don't deserve it. But yet he does it for us because he loves us. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Hallelujah. And we believe it. And no matter what happens to us on this earth, we know that we're going to a better place. We know that we can see our loved ones again, those who have gone on in Christ Jesus, that we can see them. We have a blessed hope where some people have no hope which is, is, is horrible to think about. Is I don't know how people get through life, especially now with everything we're going through, how they do, would even... You see how people are cracking up all over the place on airplanes and in the streets and supermarkets, and people are just acting crazy because they can't take it. They can't handle tribulation, this form of tribulation, of course. We haven't seen anything yet, but kind of form of tribulation that we're going through. And it's stressful. It's very stressful to have to uh, think about this virus and and uh, you don't know if you're going to survive it. Of course, a Christian knows that. You can't say this killed a Christian and that killed a Christian because we believe that it is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. So, of course, when our appointed day comes, we're going and no matter what sickness or disease afflicts our body, God could heal us. He could give us a miracle. But if we die, that's our appointed time. And that, to me, is a great comfort for my relatives that have gone before me and the people that I love. I can say it was their time to go. And that gives me a comfort because I, I'm not going to give the devil any credit for taking the life of a a Christian, like some people believe, well, the, the devil killed that person. No, God can give you a miracle in an instant and raise you up. But if it's your time to go, you're going. And that's a comfort for us. But let's listen to the second audio about Mormonism. You grew up in a Mormon home, surrounded by Mormons. Here's the great-great-granddaughter of the second prophet of the Mormon church. And then something happened. What happened? In Mormonism, as a child, you grow up on hearing Joseph Smith's story that in 1820 he supposedly went out in the woods to pray and asking God what church to join, and God supposedly told him all the churches were corrupt 
and that he was going to restore the true church through him. But in this first vision, he supposedly saw both God and Jesus as two separate beings. And from this, the Mormons take their view of God, which is very different than standard Christianity, because these are two gods, not uh, well, the Mormons would say they believe the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, but one in purpose. But they make them three separate individuals, total different entities. And so this is what I was raised to believe, that uh, Joseph had this truth revealed to him. Well, when I was in the eighth grade, a uh, Christian girl came up to me, this is in Southern California, and she said, Sandra, I heard you were a Mormon. And I said, yes. And she said, well, tell me what the Mormons believe about God. So I was trying to think, how do I explain this to her? because I knew it was very different than what she would believe. And so I said to her a phrase that I had been taught that was uh, coined by one of the Mormon apostles, as man is, God once was, as God is, man may become. And she looked at me horrified, and she said, Sandra, that's blasphemy, and walked away. And there I stood, you know, trying, oh, you know, sounded good to me. I couldn't figure out why it was blasphemy. And it really saw in the Bible that uh, Isaiah has it right there very plainly, Isaiah 43, 10, and 11, that there's only the one God, none before him, none after. Then you go on to 44, uh, what is it, verse 8, that God doesn't even know of any other gods. And so as I was um, challenged by different people, especially when I started dating my future husband, Gerald, he was coming out of Mormonism, and he started telling me, uh, Christianity is different than what you've heard in Mormonism, and the Mormon scriptures are different than what the Bible says. And one of the things we spent time discussing was the nature of God, which is totally different in Mormonism. They make it sound like they believe the same, but it isn't. It's a very different concept. Let me give you a quote that stood out to me, and I want to put this up on the screen for folks that you can look at. Joseph Smith said this, God himself was once as we are now. It is an exalted man and sits enthroned in yonder heaven. I'm going to tell you how God came to be God. We have imagined and supposed that God was God from all eternity. I will refute that idea and take away the veil so that you may see he was once a man like us, and you have got to learn how to be gods yourselves. Dissect that a little bit for us. In Mormonism, they have what they refer to as the plan of eternal progression. And in this plan, they believe that uh, everyone has the potential to be, every man has the potential to become a god just like Heavenly Father, that we're all the same species. And so at one time, they would say God was a human who lived on some other world system, which would have had a different god over it, and he would have gone through a mortal life, going to work, uh, had a job, married, and then died, went to heaven, and we don't know how long it takes, but after he went through the school of whatever you have to learn, he was declared a god. And then he was able to go off and start his own world to populate it with his spirit children, who then have the same potential eventually to become a god just like him. So you have this progression of uh, every god's got a mom and dad and a grandma and grandpa, and every child of god has the potential to progress on to godhood. Now, for this Mormon male, uh, the Mormon woman uh, is a helpmeet to her husband, but he is the, the hope to become a god of his own world. Yeah. Joseph Fielding Smith, one of the LDS presidents, said, Our father in heaven, according to the prophet, had a father, and since there had that has been a condition of this kind through all eternity, each father had a father. So you have gods going back all through time, 
how many gods are out there? Well, they don't know. It's an infinite regression of gods. Every god, well, it wouldn't just be that he had a mom and dad and a grandma and grandpa that were gods. He would have brothers that would have become gods. So this is a, a, a huge, uh, infinite number of potential gods out there in the universe. So when you bring up a thing like verses in Isaiah about there being only one God, a Mormon will often respond, well, that's for this world. But that's where you come back to Isaiah 44, 8. God doesn't know of any other gods. If he doesn't know of any other gods, there can't be any out there. He'd have to know he had a mom and dad that were gods of some other world. Now, you said at uh, one of your writings that by the year 1844, Joseph Smith had completely disregarded the teachings of the Book of Mormon concerning God. Why? Yes, one one of the problems uh, when Gerald and I were studying our way out of Mormonism was in studying the Book of Mormon, we realized it taught differently than Joseph's later writings. And he seems to have started out with the idea of one God, and then as the years went by, he starts separating out the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost into separate beings until finally in the 1840s, in his last sermons, he started teaching this idea that God was once a man, a man can become a God. So it's an evolving theology. So a Mormon missionary comes to your door. They want you to read the Book of Mormon and pray about it. And they give you the Book of Mormon to read because it's the closest thing to whatever Christianity you had been exposed to before. They don't give you their other books of Scripture to read and pray about because you would find plural gods and these different doctrines in those. So they start you out on the milk and then later bring in the meat. But through Joseph... That's how it is with deception. They give you a little. They have they have the buzzwords, and that's how they trap people. But it's like she said, they give you a book in the beginning to make you think that, oh, this is this is like Christianity. They must be Christians, and I think even they didn't want to be called Mormons anymore. They want to be called the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I, I think they even changed the name of the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. And so they're trying to change their image, but it's the same old cult. And if you go on to some of the, the uh, video channels, you'll see they have someone snuck a camera into the Mormon temples, and you can see their their services where they don't allow the public into their temple when they're having these rituals. It's by special invitation. And these people go and they put on these white garments and they sit through these. It's like a play that they sit through, but it's really weird, (laughs) really weird. weird. But I think I even heard, um, the Osmond family, they're a famous Mormon family. I think I even heard one of them say, oh, yeah, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. You know, well, he's not their Lord and Savior. He's not. But that's the words that they use. I think I even heard uh, Mitt Romney say that, too, that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. Well, he's, he's not the same Lord and Savior that we know, but that's their their uh, buzzwords to try to make you think that they're just like you. But they've managed to deceive people. They definitely managed to deceive people. And, of course, you have Glenn Beck, and he's a Mormon, and now he's partnering up with Kenneth Copeland and different evangelical Christians, and they're uh, using their 
airplanes to uh, move people around, which is nothing wrong with that, trying to get people out of Afghanistan that our government left there. I'm figure that one out if you can. It, it, it just doesn't even make any sense at all. Here's the how, what the even of course we've been talking about the so like I said we were talking about the Moonies which we've been talking about for a long time and uh, but it's so interesting I think it's it's just so interesting because you see people that call themselves Mrs. Moon, which is so distressing to me, and I know to many others and to many of you, is to see people like Mike Pence and Mike Pompeo, and uh, they claim to be born-again Christians. And then you have the former president, Donald Trump, rallying around this woman. And the organization is so wicked. It's, It's one of the most wicked organizations out there today and so they did an interview quite a few years ago with on the John Ankerberg program with Walter Martin and they had this man there that was a member of the cult and he he said it too he said Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior but it's not true because really their their Lord and their Savior is your moon and now Mrs. Moon so Let's hear some of these conversations. We're glad that you joined us tonight, and we're talking about the beliefs of the Unification Church, Sun Young Moon, and also comparing that with Orthodox Christian belief. My guest tonight, Mr. Thomas Cutts, Southeast Regional Coordinator for the Unification Church, and then Mr. Reverend Tom McDevitt, a primary spokesman for the Unification Church. Sitting next to him is Jerry Yamamoto, an author, and then Dr. Walter Martin, Director of the Christian Research Institute. Gentlemen, we're glad that you're here tonight. The first question I'd like to ask has to do with uh, something that Tom, uh, Unification Church, sent out. You sent me uh, three or four cassettes that I watched, as well as some booklets. This is one of them. And uh, you were primarily responsible for kind of heading up and coordinating that that whole effort of 300,000 packages that went to ministers across the country. Is that correct? That's true. Okay, we'd like to define terms tonight. Does it make a difference, uh, Tom, that uh, Christianity holds that before Christ ever came to earth, he was God the Son, eternally existing? Uh, Not all Christianity holds that. Uh, The big question here is, if the fall didn't occur, we would not need salvation. Consequently, there would be no need for Jesus to have come and worked to establish his kingdom, or died and been resurrected. But don't you think it makes a difference of, uh, since the fall did take place, of who Jesus is in restoring that salvation? Well, of course it does. In other words, Jesus comes as the last Adam, as it says in the New Testament. He comes to do what Adam failed to do. He comes to establish God's ideal on the earth as a true man. Dr. Martin, uh, you're a professor of Orthodox Christianity uh, from... Uh, that viewpoint, uh, what do you think about this? Is it important that Jesus Christ is God the Son? It doesn't make much difference what Tom of the Unification Church thinks, what Jerry thinks, or what I think. The difference is what the Scriptures say. 
because the scriptures are the basis of Christianity, not our opinions. Now, the scripture is adamant, and I'm surprised that you quoted the passage you did, Tom, a minute ago. You said, the last Adam. You didn't finish the quotation. Jehovah out of heaven. Jesus Christ is literally the Lord God Jehovah, the Word of God incarnate. That is, second person of the Holy Trinity. Mm -hmm. Now, Mr. Moon doesn't believe that. Mr. Moon does not believe in the deity of Christ. Mr. Moon has gone on record stating he does not accept Jesus as God. And the whole history of the Christian church, from the first century in the creeds of Christendom, Philip Schaff's great two-volume work catalogs the entire history of Christian creeds. I don't know whether you're familiar with it or not. But in Schaff's history, he gives almost a thousand pages of documentation that from its earliest days the Christian church believed that Jesus Christ was God the Son eternal. Now, all cults deny this. The Unification Church is no different. In fact, in your book that you uh, passed out here, the um, outline of the principle level four, mm -hmm. uh, dealing with the subject of Christ, the person that was writing the particular section goes out of their way to deny the deity of Jesus Christ. In fact, in terms nobody can misunderstand, if I can quote, some try to identify Jesus with God on the basis of the quote in John 8:58, in which Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. Mm -hmm. But Jesus didn't mean that he was God. Now, that's a flat-out lie. I take issue with that. That's up to interpretation. Well, let me, and your let interpretation me, uh, as an Orthodox me, uh, Christian thinker is different let than me ask you. Let me ask you a question, then. Mm -hmm. uh, you have your Bible there. Uh, God spoke in Exodus chapter 3 to Moses, mm -hmm. and he identified himself. Moses said, Whom shall I say has sent me? He said, This is my name forever, my memorial to all generations. I am hath sent me unto you. Oh, Jesus yeah. in John chapter 8. It's not interpretation. It's exegesis. Mm -hmm. John 8, 58, Jesus said, Abraham I tell you, before Abraham even came into existence, I am the eternal God. Mm -hmm. The moment he said that, verse 59 says, the Jews reached for stones <clears throat> to kill him. Not for your good works, but for blasphemy, that you being a man make yourself out to be God. A unification church is not a matter of interpretation. It's a matter of flat-out denial of what Jesus said. He specifically said, I am the eternal God. Amen. And I, I'm glad Jesus is the eternal God and not Mr. Moon, because Mr. Moon is uh, there. Uh, he's dead and uh, he's been embalmed and he's in a glass case. And uh, we know where he went. We know where Mr. Moon is today. And uh, he's not ruling and reigning and he's not coming back again. I have news for Mr. Moon. Here's another conversation. Moon has said, Jesus' original mission supposedly was to be married, father sinless children, and be received as Messiah by the world. But because of the faithlessness of John the Baptist and the Israelites generally, his mission was thwarted and he was crucified. Since the time of Jesus until the present, no one has been able to reveal this heavenly secret. Again, let me come to either one of you. Do you think that that statement accurately reflects what the Christian church has held concerning Jesus' mission, that he was to come and get married and to start a new race? <laughs> I think we have to, you have to realize that there are other Christian uh, viewpoints. I think I'd like to take issue with the idea that, in fact, uh, there, there's no room for opinion, even in the last question, because we find there was room for opinion even in the first century of Christianity, and that was why they had the Nicene Council. 
And in fact, that was where the decisions were made as to whether or not Jesus was God or not, according to the... the but weren't the decisions of the Nicene Council made on the basis of what the apostles in Scripture said to us? No, they were made on very political grounds. If you look at, if you study the history, you'll find that the, the, uh, the emperor at the time had a very important role to play in the decision of the councils. And so there, but the point I'm making is there, there is differences of opinion, even in the early church. I think we ought, to, we ought to talk about that. First of all, Dr. Martin, do you think that uh, in terms of uh, the decision of Nicaea and Constantinople that the uh, emperor was decisive in deciding what those men thought? First of all, what he said is incorrect. The Council of Nicaea wasn't in the first century. It was in the fourth century. Secondly, the Council of Nicaea did not decide the divinity of Christ. The Council of Nicaea argued against the Arian heresy, which was challenging the already accepted deity of Christ. The Arians were teaching that Christ was a created being. The Council of Nicaea only pronounced what the church had said in the first and second centuries, namely that he was God from God, light from light, very God from very God, begotten, not made. One substance, homoousius, with the Father. That's the Council of Nicaea. It had nothing to do with establishing the deity of Christ. It simply excommunicated the Arian heretics from the church. So in the first, second, and third centuries of the church, there were heretics that arose. We could list 20 or 30 of them that were common. But the church rejected their doctrines and maintained the eternal deity of Jesus Christ. Well, please speak, both of you, to the fact of Mr. Moon's statement. It was not God's plan for Christ to die on the cross. Jesus did not come to die on the cross. This idea that Jesus came to get married instead of dying on the cross. I realize that that is a very hot statement, and it is very tough for people like yourselves to deal with such a statement. I want yeah. to preface my answer to it by making this issue, that we're dealing in an age that is changing and that, in my heart, God has spoken in a new way. So everything I share tonight, everything we share tonight, like the others, is, is on the basis of prayer. Tom, I, I okay. really appreciate that. And let me just ask a real sensitive question back, is that we really appreciate your being open to us mm -hmm. on what you personally hold. But other people are saying that they hold some things, and we're, the question is, if we, I think that you have admitted right there that it's divergent from Orthodox Absolutely. Christian teaching, yes. okay? And uh, at that point, why is it that you would try to match up unification thought with Christianity? Why not just separate them The reason them why at it's important, point? John, the reason why it's important in, in my heart is because it's historically necessary that the Orthodox Christian tradition and the unification tradition see each other as an elder brother and a younger brother. In other words, there's a linkage that has to occur. God has spoken in a new way. Let's take the point about Jesus. Jesus didn't come to die. It's absolute heresy from the point of Martin, from the point of Yamamoto. The absolute church. Heresy. The church. From the, the church. point of the church, from the way that you see things. But let's remember when our Lord came 2,000 years ago, the chosen people of Israel were confronted with a whole new view of reality that Jesus brought. He didn't come speaking the same words that they had heard for thousands of years. And I believe that's happening today. Get back to the point of Jesus did not come to die. The issue here is that Jesus, it's not that Jesus did not fail. Jesus accomplished his mission by dying on the cross to save us spiritually. But he did not establish the kingdom of God upon the earth. And our view is simply that the people of Israel had the responsibility representing all of us to accept him as their Lord and Savior when he was on the earth. It's very simple. Because they rejected him, then he died and rose again. If they had accepted him, which was their portion of responsibility, a different course of history would have occurred. It's very simple. Jerry? <laughs> it's very simple. 
as as he goes on, and we'll we'll hear more as he goes on to explain that it's really Mr. Moon who takes over for Jesus, and they're going to create heaven on earth. It's so convoluted, isn't it? Well, I think that there's more here involved in the fact that we have an elder uh, and a younger uh, set of beliefs in which perhaps we can work together at some goal in history according to God's plan. I think that what is being said by the Unification Church is a displacement of the Christian religion. And let me give you one example, and that is marriage within the Unification Church. This is an elevated, exalted sacrament within the Unification Church. And marriage itself displaces communion and baptism. Marriage is such an important sacrament that it's essential for a person within the Unification Church to be married in order to fully rise to the point of divine spirit. Mm-hmm. Now, Mr. we'll Moon probably cover that a little well, later. Yeah, Mr. Moon says if you're not married, you can't get to heaven. Another way of saying that, to the Unificationist, marriage is, an, is the essential channel to salvation in this dispensation. In other words, the kingdom of God upon the earth will be based upon families, God's love shared in a true family where original sin does not exist in the husband and the wife and the children. I know it's radical, and I'm happy that you're not throwing rocks at me. But it's a new idea, and we've got to be open in the the spirit of of Christ to pray and ask Jesus and God if it's possible. But it's not only just a matter of being open to new ideas. These ideas are displacing I couldn't agree more. the Christian faith. I couldn't agree that it's not and just a matter of being Christ open. Himself. Let's go to the scripture and, and when Jesus himself tells us how to judge a false or true prophet. Okay, we've got to take a break here and we'll come back. We'll hold that. Look, that's a good one. What is our authority for judging a true or false prophet? We'll talk about it when we come right back. Stick with us. Tom, let me come back to you. In uh, the booklets that you sent out to 300,000 ministers, Christian ministers across the country, You made a statement right in the front pages here saying the divine principle, that's this book written by Sun Young Moon, along with the Old and New Testaments serve as the scriptures of the unification faith. Here's the question. If the Bible teaches one thing and your book, The Divine Principle, teaches something completely different on the same point, which book is right? What is God's truth that we should follow? It's a great question, but I haven't found that dilemma in my own life of faith. In other words, as I've said before, to me, the Old Testament, the New Testament, and the unification theology is an elder brother, middle brother, younger brother. Can I help you the out then? Point... Here, let me just give you an example then, because you said you didn't, uh, mm-hmm. you didn't find any, anything like that. I'll give you four examples. The Bible states, for in Jesus, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Colossians 2.9. While the divine principle states that Jesus can by no means be God himself. The Bible states that Jesus was delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, Acts 2.23. Mm-hmm. The divine principle plainly states that it was not God's plan for Jesus to die. The Bible states that Jesus rose bodily from the dead. Jesus said, a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have, Luke 24.39. The divine principle said, Jesus did not rise bodily from the dead, but is a spirit man only. 
The Bible states that this Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven, Acts 1, while the divine principle states that Jesus will not return physically to this earth to set up his kingdom. Got a conflict there. You say that you hold to both. What is it really? Well, let me go down each of the four points. Uh, first of all, the uh, scripture that you referred to there mentioned that, that God was full in a bodily form. Mm-hmm. I believe that. Jesus was God in a bodily form. I have no problem with that. And if you look closely in the chapter on Christology, in the outline of the principle, Dr. Martin, I we believe I, I've got it right that here. Jesus is the Son of God. Divine principle, the page, part of the Trinity. Divine principle, page 210, though, says exactly opposite. Jesus can not. by no means be God himself. That's a straight, straight statement. We're, what we are trying to define there is the relationship which Reverend Moon calls the central relationship of the universe between the Father and the Son. I think, the I think Tom, we understand what Mr. Moon is saying, and I agree Mr. Moon is saying that, but I would think that you'd have to admit that Orthodox Christianity is saying something completely You're different. Right. And the re- <laughs> they're saying something completely different. <laughs> Obviously, they're saying something completely different. Very, they're very. It, it's very, very confusing. But you can see the double speak. They say one thing, but they mean another. And back, I, I know back in the 1980s, I think it was. You see, they passed out 300 over 300,000 books. They sent out to to Christian ministers. And I remember that I was visiting a pastor friend of mine, and he showed me this invitation he had from Mr. Moon, which they also sent out these invitations for pastors to come to a meeting that they were holding, and they were going to pay their plane fare and their hotel fare, all expenses paid, to get them to come and listen to Mr. Moon and to have this unity, which they're trying to push now by using people like Trump and Pompeo and even Jonathan Falwell went to speak for Mrs. Moon. And so this pastor friend of mine, I said, well, are you going to go? And he said, yeah, probably going to go. I said, well, you you can't go there. That's not right. He said, well, it's all expenses paid. I'm getting free airfare and free food and hotel and everything. I think I'm going to go. So it was very tempting for people. And that's what we're seeing now when we see these people, so-called Christians, go into this rally of hope and rallying around Mrs. Moon, and they try to present this false sense of unity, but that's the devil. That's the devil that wants us to unify with these cults. We have nothing in common with them at all. Our job is to learn what they're teaching so that if we meet up with these people that we can refute what they're saying. You see how fast uh, Dr. Walter Martin was on his feet. He could come right back with an answer. And and back it up with scripture. This guy wasn't getting anywhere with him. And uh, we have a couple more audios. If I if we lose the sound again, what's happening is the uh, studio here, Blog Talk Radio, is dropping my connection. So then I have to reconnect. So you get you get some dead air, but I'm able to reconnect after a minute or two. So just bear with me if we get disconnected again. You're right, and here's where I think Christians have got to be humble and prayerful. And I'm going to say something here that might be tough to digest. I think that God is speaking a new message 
through the Reverend Moon. And the key point here is that he is defining the original purpose of creation, which Orthodox Christianity has not defined clearly. Did he say he contradict himself? Well, of course not. But and the problem exactly, in contradiction exactly is the problem. slowness of our mind, I think. Well, let's, let's get back to plain language, never mind the slowness of our minds. There is contradiction, flat-out contradiction. Now, if God is the same God, he will speak consistently. Mm -hmm. If he gives new revelations, they will not contradict what he said previously. Absolutely. Uh, but exactly, that's exactly what takes place in unification theology, as John just pointed out. For instance, you are saying we've got to be humble and pray about this. Mm -hmm. I would suggest you be attentive to what Christ already told you. I will because do Because Christ is greater than Sun Myung Moon, isn't he? I can accept that. Is Christ greater than Sun Myung Moon? Are you going to put me on the defense stand here? I want to know. Is he? <laughs> if Christ is greater than Sun Myung Moon, Okay. Christ Christ is is greater than he's the creator of, of Sun Myung Moon, isn't he? That Jesus Christ is the creator? Absolutely. No. Good. Now, God, that's my point. God the Father. Stop right there. Now, look, that's all I want to know. You people, <laughs> you know, for 12 years I've been in wrestling matches with so-called fundamental Christians. I'm not a fundamental it, Christian. Whatever I'm, you I'm are, you're, you're an Orthodox Christian. Yeah, yeah. You know, I had a dream about him the other day. This is true. <laughs> and it was a dream about Dr. Martin. He's standing in front of a big castle, throwing arrows and, and, and holding shields against a lot of people in the village, and later on, when people went into the, into the castle, it was empty. Well, now, I'm, I'm sorry I can't interpret your dreams in a Freudian right. context, let, but I can I Let can me share what I'm saying, where yeah, I'm well, coming well, from. You let, let me finish my sentence. I, I, I've got the stage now. No, I, you interrupted me. <laughs> I started off. All right, okay, okay, Tom, let, let, him, let him, then you can come back. You, you just made, I made a statement that you made a statement that Jesus Christ is not the creator of some young moon. And I said, all right, wait a minute. The scripture says in Colossians chapter 1, that by him, Jesus Christ, were all things created. Moon is a thing, a degenerate, lost sinner, desperately in need of salvation, just like every one of us. Now, he created sun, young moon. Moon is a creature. He created all things, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, principalities, and powers. All things are created by Jesus Christ and for him, including some young moon. And moon kneels before Jesus Christ. We don't put him on the same plane. Well, then why does Jesus Christ, the Son of God, pray to his Father? Well, if, if you had read carefully the New Testament, John 1, that I quoted before, you would know that the Word became flesh, emptied himself of his right to act as God, lived as a man, died for our sins, and rose bodily from the dead, which Mr. Moon denies. And Mr. Moon says that Jesus Christ lied. He does not say that. You ready? He has never said Are you that ready? Jesus Christ lied. Are you ready? I'm fully ready. Okay. Mr. Moon states that Jesus Christ came back from the dead as a spiritual man or a spirit man. He denies the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, you have your Bible. You're brought along with you, right? Mm -hmm. All right, I want you to open it to John chapter 2 and just look at it for one second. I know the area. All right. Can you quote the verse? John chapter 2. I'm in a Bible class now. Right, you, you sure are, because scriptures are authority, not divine principle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Obviously, scriptures are authority. I know there was something there that um, Walter Martin said about Jesus when he was on the earth. Of course, I think what he meant to say is that Jesus Christ, of course, never was not divine when he walked the earth. He was still God. He still was God in his thinking. He could not sin. And he didn't have the that kind. He didn't really have the mind of a man. I've even heard 
I've heard other people say that, well, Jesus probably thought of that, thought about getting married. No, Jesus never thought about getting married. <laughs> That's ridiculous. And uh, so you can't ever put Jesus on the level of a man. He looked like a man and uh, he took on some human characteristics. But of course, in his mind and the way he thought, he was God. He, and he never uh, laid down his divinity. He worked miracles. He did things that nobody ever did before that walked the earth. So I think really that's what he meant to say. I don't think he meant to say that Jesus Christ stopped being God when he walked the earth. You know, he never laid down his divinity. And uh, like this, like the moons are trying to say, but we probably have time for maybe one or two more of these clips here. First of all, the Unification Church, and specifically Mr. or Reverend Moon, says Jesus Christ is not coming back to earth as Lord of the Second Advent. That is news to Christians. Why do you hold that uh, it is not Jesus Christ? Well, if you examine what Reverend Moon teaches in the divine principle in, in full, it's, he doesn't say it that way. What we teach is that Jesus Christ will come again as he prophesies in the New Testament and as all of Christianity has waited for, <clears throat> but he will not come through his literal coming on the clouds. But that meaning of him coming on the clouds has a symbolic meaning. It's not even Jesus, though. And here's a book that you fellows sent to me, mm -hmm. and uh, you sent to 300,000 ministers. <clears throat> I'm reading right out of here. Reverend Moon says, the question is, who is going to accomplish God's will on the physical level? Exactly. It is natural that the Lord at the second coming, who will come representing Jesus, not Jesus, but representing Jesus, should accomplish that mission. Just as Jesus came as the Messiah representing Adam. Jesus was the second Adam, and the Lord at the second advent will be the third Adam. Mm -hmm. So obviously, it's somebody other than Jesus. That's true. In other words, the identity of the Lord of the Second Advent is different than the identity of Jesus. But You realize that's a contradiction between what Christians believe and well, have always held, I realize, and Scripture teaches at that I realize point. in the way that most people in the Western world think, it appears to be a contradiction. In my heart, and in that's my experience... That's not a contradiction in reality? No, let me explain. In other words, just the same way that John the Baptist was said to be the return of Elijah... But he prophesied in Malachi 4, verse 5. He was not the literal person of Elijah, but he came to fulfill the, the role of Elijah. Our view is that Jesus came to fulfill the original role that Adam should have accomplished, failed. Jesus came, fulfilled that role on the spiritual level. He wanted to accomplish it on the complete physical level, but couldn't because of the faithlessness of the people of his time. The third Adam, or the second coming of, of Christ, will occur as a person comes in the extension of that messianic mission. I realize that's, that may be new. From your standpoint, it might be heretical. But the key point here is how will Christ come? Well, let's, let's crystallize. I agree with what you're saying. And let's take it from... You agree uh, with what I'm saying. Uh, let me, I agree that what you are saying represents unification thought. Let's crystallize what it is and compare it with Christianity here. Here's a statement from uh, your uh, seminary, from your 120-day training manual from... Uh, the books, page 53. We are members of the Unification Church, and the Unification Church is different from the usual church. What's different? In the Christian Church, they have no Lord of the Second Advent. It's only the Unification Church that has the Lord of the Second Advent. 
the Messiah is here, and solution of sin can be had. We will be given forgiveness of sin and new life. Sinless marriage, sinless children, sinless family, sinless nation, and sinless world. How great it is. Amen. There's a differentiation between what you are saying and what Christians are saying. That's the first thing. Now the question is, why have you given up on Jesus being the Messiah since he point blank said that he was? Again, let's go back to our whole frame of reference. We have not given up on Jesus as the Messiah. In my mind and heart right now as I talk to you, John, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ is also working in a new providential way through the man that I'm following on earth as my pastor, who is Reverend Moon. Now, I believe that Reverend Moon has been appointed in a very special way that perhaps only God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and history will really tell. So he's representing Jesus, is what He's you're representing saying. the messianic role or the, the mission of the Messiah on earth. But, can you but see, now let's go back to another well, very critical problem. I understand problem. what you just said. But to, to take the differentiation again is what if Jesus himself mm-hmm. says he's got a problem with anybody else representing him? What do we do with Jesus' own statement? Well, Jesus himself said that there will be many coming doing greater works than I. In other words, his desire is for us as priests, as we said last week, I think it was, that all Christians are priests. Jerry, all Christians I, I need, are to carry right, the let me, cross. Let me ask Jerry for a statement. You wrote a whole book right along that area. Give us a succinct statement here. Maybe you can help us out. But Jesus Christ, uh, according to Reverend Moon, came down in 1936 mm-hmm. and asked Reverend Moon to fulfill the mission he left incomplete, right? Essentially. And that mission was for the Messiah Mm -hmm. to redeem man physically. And throughout his teachings in the divine principles, certain things must be accomplished in order for uh, this particular person to be Mm -hmm. the Messiah. Mm -hmm. Now, if we look at the, the life of Reverend Moon, we will find that many of these requirements have been and are being fulfilled. First of all, uh, it's taught that Reverend Moon underwent spiritual warfare with Satan for nine years. During this time, he was visited by various holy people in the past, such as Confucius and Buddha, etc. They imparted to him new revelations and also how to subjugate Satan. He did accomplish that task of defeating Satan and thereby perfecting himself. The second It's unbelievable, isn't it? Here you hear the representative of the Moonies, of, of, of the so-called Reverend Moon, which the Bible says don't call anybody Reverend. And he's saying, yes, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. But then in the next breath, he's saying Jesus didn't finish his work because he wasn't accepted by Israel. And so... Mr. Moon has to take over for him and uh, basically be the uh, the Messiah to finish the work here on earth. And that you heard what they said in the previous audio, that if you don't get married, you can't have salvation. Well, where did they get that one from? So, and it's very, very, very discouraging to see some of these men and women rally around this woman, Mrs. Moon. And so we have to be very, very aware. When when we see people congregating and going to these 
rallies and going to these conventions and speaking for these antichrist people. We just have to kind of check them off our list and say, well, I'll pray for you. But loud and clear, we have to show our displeasure and shout it from the rooftops that it's wrong. It's wrong. And we don't unite with antichrist organizations. We don't, they like to say, oh, well, we have to love each other and we all have to be one. No, I'm not going to be one with you. I'm not one with the devil. No. And so we have to take a firm stand against this because even now it's even going to be worse, the deception. And we're seeing the deception all around us. And so we have to know what the truth is. We have to know how to combat it. We have to have an answer for these people if we meet up with these people to be able to share something with them about where they're wrong and to uh, tell them to get into the word. Because I know before I was saved, different cults, they would say, well, you have to read the Bible and you have to, you have to pretend like you're a Christian when you're talking to Christians because they're not going to buy our stuff. So you have to throw a little bit of Bible in there. And that's how they deceive people. You heard that guy say, yes, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. But no, they don't believe in the same Jesus we believe in. But anyway, I want to thank you all for staying here today because we had some technical difficulties. But (laughs) we were able to get through the whole program, which I'm very grateful for. But I want to thank all my listeners. They're all the people that stopped by the chat room today. And remember, the most important thing is today, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3.10 says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 5.12 says, wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned, all have sinned. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 5.8 says, But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that's our, our great hope. Jesus Christ promised us eternal life. He promised us a new life. He promised us peace and joy. And you can't buy that. You can't get peace and joy any other way. So give your life to Jesus today. You'll never be disappointed that you gave your life to him. He is the way. He is the truth. And he is the life. And no man come to the, cometh to the Father but by him. So God bless you all today. And if you need to contact me, you can email me, Susan at propheticnews.com. And I'll look forward to hearing from you. God bless you all today. Bye-bye.
Blessed be. 